This morning, first of all, good to be back. We had a good vacation. We've gone to sunny, warm, low humidity Mississippi, <laughs> low humidity Florida. Rained on every afternoon. Um, quite high humidity, actually. Uh, it, was, it was enjoyable. Our skin was like, <laughs> you can feel it now. It's <laughs> cracking. It's awesome. Enough to put on stuff on my heels like I normally do. We had a good time on vacation, but it's good to get back as well. Good to get away, good to get back. Good to get away, good to get back. So it's good to see your smiling faces and to get back into God's Word and to pray for those in, our, in, our, in the church body who are in uh, need of prayer and, and praying for each and every one of you. For those who, uh, there are some folks in our church right now who are hurting. So just uh, if you don't know the situation is going on, just pray in general for those in our, in our church who are uh, hurting at the moment. Um, there's some situations going on. Um, just keep everybody in prayer if you would. I don't want to divulge any information, but uh, just be in prayer for the, the body of Christ uh, that we compromise here at Grace Life Church so we can be in prayer to strengthen each other, make sure that we are all tied into one another into what God has for us. It's good to have Stephanie's folks here visiting with us from way down south. And, Southern Colorado, and uh, he's, he's like my father-in-law. He's a cowboy, and uh, John is. So if you get a chance to go over and talk to him, and, and uh, his, his Titus and Elijah are enjoying having their papa and I forget what they call him. Trish, I forget what they call you, Mamma. I forget what they call him. Grandma, and Grandma. Forget, forget Grandma and Grandma. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna mess it up. But if I'm gonna try to figure it out, but uh, glad to have you guys with us. Um, Stephanie's glad to have you here as well. Today we're starting a new series for the next few couple of weeks in the book of Haggai, or Haggai. Different people call it different things. So if you have your Bibles, I'll give you a couple of minutes to go and find it. It's in the Old Testament just before the book of Zechariah, which we just finished. So that should be easy for you to find, right? But in my Bibles, as I was flipping through, I kept missing it. It's only one page long, front and back, in my Bible. So make sure you don't miss it as you get over the course of your like some, you get your digital Bible. Oh, it's right there. No problem. I got that. One of the people's problems is can't find the Haggai in the Bible. It's right there. We're going to be in Haggai for the next few weeks, looking at uh, God renewing the vision for worship, renewing the vision for Him among the people of Israel. This is kind of a continuation, actually, of what we talked about in Zechariah over the past six weeks, but a little, with a little bit different twist. Whereas in Zechariah, the command was for the people of Israel that were in Babylon to go home, to go back to where God had called them. This book is written to people who are already in the land. They'd already arrived back in Israel as part of one of the, the second uh, group going back to Israel from Babylon. And so, and they've been given a task to rebuild the temple and they'd forgotten their task. They kind of left it behind. They built, they laid the foundation and said, whew, that was good. That foundation was tough. Pouring those footers and laying the concrete and all that. Oh, yeah, they don't they didn't do that, did they? Uh, but they laid the foundation and then they said, well, now we got to get busy working on our own houses and our own lives. And they forgot the task that God had given to them was to reestablish the worship of the name of God, not just within the people of Israel, but within the nations all around them as well. So when and as they're building the foundation, and as the other nations that were there in that land did not want Israel back in the land, they kind of brought some hardship upon them, were giving them a hard time. 
And that kind of got Israel distracted from the task that God had for them. Life happened, in other words. Life happened. This happens to many of us. Life happens and gets us distracted from what's really important in our lives. When you're distracted by the things of the world around us, when you're distracted from what, where God has called us and get so engrossed in what's right in front of our eyes and forget to stay at the test of what God has us. They say in business that location is the most important thing. My dad owned a restaurant when I was in high school, a little fast food joint. And um, it was it was a great restaurant, it had about a four or five year run before they finally shut it down. They actually had a great location. The only problem is it was catty corner from McDonald's. So as people came down the road, were they gonna to go to G.D. Ritzy's, which is a name they didn't really know, or were they gonna to go to McDonald's across the street? Well, most of them went to McDonald's. McDonald's has had their system in place since the, the 50s. They had the, the cheap hamburgers, had cheap cheeseburgers, had delicious McRibs. Um, yeah, I'm glad they only bring those out once a year now. Um, they had healthy shakes. And I remember going and getting the big breakfast or the, the pancakes, hotcakes, and, and, and syrup, and, and those styrofoam containers. Remember those styrofoam packages? They used to come in, and my brother and I would take those home, and we'd wash them out, and we'd turn them into Star Wars toys, and we'd make all kinds of cool stuff with those. Uh, but McDonald's had its system down. If you were to go to McDonald's today, or if you were to go and want to open up at McDonald's, you pay. I think at the time, back 20 years ago, when I was first looking at all the stats, it was about $650,000 of cash you had to have to pay the McDonald's before they let you finance the rest of their franchise fee, which at that time was about $1.5 million. But with that franchise fee, they set you up in the right location with the right system and everything was good to go. So you were almost guaranteed to become a millionaire and within the next few several years, if you follow their system and you let them work you through with Donald's University and doing stuff. Location was vitally important. God knew about having, knew that having a great location for his people to meet for worship was vital as well for their growth. That's why he set up for them this pattern of a place to go and meet. As the, as the people came out of Egypt years earlier, as he led them out of Egypt, he set up for them the tabernacle system. He gave Moses the law, and they prepared the law for the people. And they'd be coming out of this land of Egypt where they'd been inundated, inundated, inundated by the Egyptian gods and the temples and the worship centers there. And so with Israel leaving Egypt now and trying to get Egypt out of the people of Israel, God set up the tabernacle for them so they could go and have a place to worship God at that tabernacle. He set up the altar, the sacrificial system, the systems all around there so they could go and worship God. As they got into the promised land, the tabernacle was still there. Eventually Solomon built the temple. You know, David collected all of the stuff for Solomon to build. And he built this massive, beautiful temple in Jerusalem for the people to come and worship at. There's a place where they can say, our God is there. Later on in Babylon, as they were in exile for 70 years in Babylon, we just finished talking about that. 
It's all part of the story we're talking about this morning. The temple was left behind and had been destroyed. And so the people of Israel set up synagogues in the various places around them. And those synagogue system still exists today. When you go and you follow all the Jewish synagogues around our area, our town, around the country, around the world, they can tie their beginnings back to Babylon. That's where the synagogue started. In the New Testament, after the resurrection of Christ, God set up the church, the local church, in every city where he sent followers and disciples. As Paul went into a, a city, he would establish a group of believers and set up a church. He'd go to another city, establish a group of believers and set up a church. Go to another city, establish a group of believers and set up a church. Sometimes it was a house church. Sometimes it was a physical structure. Maybe they sometimes they met inside a university in a side room. But they set up a church, a place where believers could go and gather together and worship. Now the question comes, does God need a building? Does God need a building? Did, did God's presence only exist in the tabernacle? Does God's presence only exist in the temple? Does God's presence only exist in the synagogues and now in the church? As we leave this building this morning, does God's presence not follow us out of this building? Of course it does. Of course God goes with us. Of course the presence of God is with us in our homes, in our cars. We know the Holy Spirit resides within the life of every believer. The Spirit of God does not stay in a building. So why does it seem that these places of worship are important to God? Why does it seem that the tabernacle, the temple, the synagogues, the church, why are they so important to God and to his people? See, it was about having a place where we could go and lay our burdens and our past down and walk away, leaving them with him. When we come to church on Sunday mornings, when we come to church or go to a Bible study, when you go and you're traveling or going on vacation or visiting your daughter in a city far away, it's important to get involved and to go find that church where you can go and you can lay your burdens down. There's other believers there. You know that together we are worshiping God's name. And we know that we're all struggling together. We're all on this journey of faith together. We find strength in numbers as we come together to cast our burdens before God, to leave our past there and let Him handle it. In the book of Haggai, here as we get ready to look at it, it appears, Haggai appears here with a reminder to go back and restore worship of the one true God. As He comes on the scene, to remind the people of their task. Haggai is probably an older gentleman, probably 67 years old, and he's coming in now reminding the people, this is what the Lord says. You are given a task, you've abandoned your task. You've abandoned the task to restore worship of the one true God in that land. But not just looking at the act itself, because building a temple, building a building, doesn't necessarily mean that the word's not going to go out. But looking at the heart of the, of the people and why 
They stopped the work. So look with me in Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. We're going to look for the whole chapter this morning. We're going to first focus on the first couple verses here. And the problems with the priorities of the people. Verses 2 through 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word Lord came by the hand of Haggai and says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while this house lays in ruins? The people say, Well, it's not our good time. It's just not the right time to build God's house. There's other things going on. But God basically puts the question back at him. What is it time for? To build your nice houses? To prepare a life for yourselves? The most important thing for a community is to have this place of worship, a central place to come together to lift up my name. They're basically telling God, God, we don't have time for you. We don't have time for you. What we do have time for is to build our houses, to lay seed, to, to go and hang out with each other. To It's like to them seeing the foundation sitting there and the rubble around there, the preparation for the future temple. That was fine. That was all just fine. Nothing needed, nothing more needed to happen. You know what fine means? F-I-N-E? The word fine means feelings are inside, need expressing. So when they looked at that rubble, said, oh, this is just fine. Really what they're saying, God, I don't have time for you. Their true feelings were not being expressed. Now guys, you know that if your wife tells you everything's fine, that means run for the hills. Not even it's wrong, nothing, it's fine. Run for the hills. What, what, what are we telling God when we say that everything is, is fine, that the way things look are fine? What are they telling God when they say, oh, I don't have time for you? This is fine, this building bricks. They're basically throwing their nose at God. They're throwing their nose at him. This is, the people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild our support. God, we don't have time to do what you've called us to do. But God calls it what, right? Of course there was time. There's always time to do the things that we want to do. Go to Rockies games, go hiking, play golf, read a good book. There's always time to do the things that we want to do. It's amazing that well, there's a competition between what we want to do and what God wants us to do, almost always, we went out. That's what was happening here in Israel. Almost always, we went out. So Haggai steps up and he compares the priority that they have to get their nice houses built, which there's nothing wrong with building a nice house, right? There's nothing wrong with going and playing golf. There's nothing wrong with going hiking in the house. There's nothing wrong with going and doing lots of these things that we enjoy. There's nothing wrong with those things when you keep the priority right. As in Zechariah, spiritual apathy was rampant among the people. They've been for 70 years in Babylon. And God's call is to get back at the task. He says, verse 4, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses? You have time for that. Won't you make time for me as well? See, in God's kingdom, in God's economy, he prioritizes worship. We prioritize worship. Comfort and entertainment. 
God prioritizes worship of his name. What's going to last forever? Is my enjoyment, is that Rockies game, is that mountain, is that hike, is that, that sports thing we're involved with, is that book, are those going to last forever? Or is worship of God's name going to last forever? The worship of God's name is going to last forever. And ever, and ever, and ever. I look forward, I can't wait to stand before God. I can't wait to sing songs of praise before Him. I love coming to church on Sunday mornings, but it's kind of a Look, watch you looking, the Bible calls them like looking through rose-colored glasses or through a, a mirror dimly. You don't really see the true reflection of how awesome God is. We get this kind of image, this blurry image of what it's going to be like. We can enjoy singing. We enjoy getting together. We enjoy spending time in God's Word. But standing before the presence of God for all of eternity and lifting up His name in glory and worship, it's going to be awesome. He prioritizes worship of his name above all else. To glorify his name above all else. So make sure that we are prioritizing as well that which is important to God over our own priorities, those things that we want. That's why I I tell people when when you're getting ready to seek out a new job, you pray and ask God, where do you want me to work? When you're going to move to a new house, where do you want me to live? When you're going to seek out a church, when you're moving to a new town and looking for a church, God, where do you want me to worship? There's maybe a lot of good churches there, but God, where specifically do you want me to land and end up so that I can do the most for the kingdom? Where do you want me to live so I can do the most for the kingdom? Where do you want me to work so I can do the most for the kingdom? bring people along. His priorities ought to become our priorities. Secondly, look, we work work for the wrong things. Verses 5 and 6. The people of Israel were working at the wrong things. Verse 5 and 6 says this, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You've been busy at the fields, but you haven't brought anything in. You eat and you never have enough. You're always hungry. You drink, you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. That's not talking about my daughter Tori, who was never warm. You clothe yourself, and no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag full of holes. How'd you like it if you got your paycheck, direct deposit, or you're depositing your check manually, and then the bank goes, okay, deposit a thousand bucks. You look, check your statement, and you're down to 300. What? What happened to those $700? You had holes in your bag. God's saying, what you're doing, what you're doing, you're working for the wrong things. They're working themselves to the bone just to get enough ahead, and they're never getting ahead. They sowed much and harvested little. Ate enough and never ate a lot and never had enough. They drank and were always thirsty. They closed themselves and yet they were always cold. They worked long hours and yet never had any money to show for it. Because they're working for the wrong things. God can't bless them when you're working for the wrong things. People struggling in life typically do one of two things. They either work harder at it 
or they blame somebody else for their problems. And occasionally, they sit back and just do nothing. Well, I can't get ahead, so I'm just going to sit back. When we struggle in life, those, those are our typical go-tos. Stuff that's going wrong, I work harder to ignore it, to ignore the situation, or blame somebody else for my problems. Instead of the man who was raised in church, made a profession of faith as a child, got angry with God, and at some point turned his back on God, and church and now works 50 to 60 hours a week so he can have a house full of toys trying to fill the void left behind when he left God behind. His relationships struggle. He hates working so much. He's never at peace. He's always angry at something or some cause. He has a nice paneled house but no peace because he's rejected the peace given. What are we truly working for? What are we spending our hours and our effort focused on? Sometimes we see that our choices are what keep us from receiving the full measure of our labor from the Lord. Sometimes our choices keep us from receiving what God wants us to have. Hourly, hourly we could be doing all that is required of us, but inwardly at the same time cultivating the wrong heart attitude. We look good on the outside. We smell good. We've got a nice house. We've got our nice things that we're involved with. Our kids are all dressed nice. But inwardly, we have a stinking heart. That's where Israel was. They made the wrong choice. They made the choice to get involved and work in the wrong area. Reestablishing worship in their community. Reestablishing the influence of God in that community and in the nations around them. They worked at themselves, trying to fill their bellies. They forgot that God had called them to such a greater mission than just putting food on the table and existing. We've been called to reach those around us. Here in the Denver metro area, less than 1% of the people in the Denver metro area go to any kind of evangelical church on a Sunday morning. Five million people live around us. Less than 1% attend an evangelical church. What are we doing? What are we doing to share Jesus with those around us, with our co-workers and neighbors? Thirdly, God's trying to get their attention and get our attention as well in verses 7 through 11. As they saw the heart, the motive behind the people, as they rejected the task that God had set before them. He's trying to get their attention. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider how you're living. Consider what you're doing. Give careful thought to your ways, to your priorities. Secondly, his purpose was to bring glory to his name. This is what he's doing to get their attention, to bring glory to his name, first and foremost. He's always been about bringing glory to his name. And why not? Does he not deserve it? Does he not deserve that his name lifted up above all else in our world? 
We celebrate the Olympics right now and all the gold medal winners. I'm mean, happy seeing some of the gold medal winners, some of the medal, the gold with the silver and the bronze. Some of the people have stood up and said, no, I want to praise God because of what he's done. The one swimmer had the glory to God message on her cap as she was swimming. Awesome. Those stood up and they're giving praise and glory to God for them having a platform. A platform to be able to stand up and say, God is great and deserves to be glorified. Look what he says there in verse 8. He says, go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified. Not because he wants a residence, that he wants a, a place to take up, a place for his spirit to come and dwell. He can be anywhere. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere in this world at one time. He is right now here in Denver. He's in Florida where we just left. He's in Mississippi with my in-laws. He's in Europe right now. He's in Russia right now. He's in North Korea right now. He's in South Korea. He's in Australia. He's in the islands across the Pacific. He is everywhere. Working and acting at the same time. That's a God that will lift up and praise and glory. He's not isolated and limited to one small location or one church. He's working in your heart. He's working in your heart. He's working in your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, and my heart, all at the same time. And he's working in the hearts of those kids across the way as they're learning about God's work. In the Old Testament, the physical temple was the central place for worship where God's presence resided. Remember in the tabernacle, the physical presence of God, God's spirit of Shekinah glory, sat in the midst of the holy of holy places. And so when Moses came out for a meeting with God, his face shone and it scared everybody. Because he had been in the presence of God. In the temple in Israel, when the temple was uh, anointed, God's presence came in there. The Ark of the Covenant was set in there. Today, Holy Spirit resides within us, and we're called what? We're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. God resides within us. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? We are the temple of God. We are the temple of God now. As we go forth into this world, the Spirit of God goes with us. As we're talking to people about, about their salvation and about faith, God goes with us. I saw this morning on Facebook as I was preparing before we came to church. One of my friends uh, runs Dare to Share ministry here in town. And he, yesterday, his wife called him from the mall and said, Greg, my, my car's got a flat tire. He's oh man. So he gets up, gets in his car, drives 25 minutes across town, gets there, starts fixing his wife's tire. And while he's fixing his wife's flat tire, another young man walks up and he said, can I help you? And Greg's almost done. He goes, well, 15 minutes ago, yeah, maybe, but now I've almost got it done, so we're okay. But as the guy stands there, not leaving, Greg begins to talk to him and ask him questions about his church background, about his faith background. And the kid, I say kid, he's a young adult, 
is they begin to have this, they have this gospel conversation while Greg is changing a tire. And this kid gets saved. He bows his knee and submits himself to Jesus right there in the middle of a mall parking lot while Greg is trying to get the rest of those lug nuts on the, on the tire. And Craig told him, and he mostly says, you know, my wife had a flat tire, so you and I can meet today. It's, the guy said, what? If my wife hadn't had a flat tire, I would have driven across town. You wouldn't have come out so that we could have a conversation and you could meet Jesus. He said, we are called as a temple, as a people of God, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, to go forth in power of the Holy Spirit, to work in people's hearts and lives around us, to be funnels for God, I can't remember the word I'm looking for, to be conduits of God's love into the world around us, looking and being ready to share Jesus with those who are in need. The guy who came out to meet Greg had no idea that he was going to meet Jesus that morning. But because Greg was always, he's always getting his spiritual antenna up, looking for opportunities to have gospel conversations with people around him, he was ready to do it. He was ready to talk to this young man about Jesus. The glory of God was, in the, was present in the first temple, was first present in the temple, and now it's present in us so that we can share that glory with others around us. Thirdly, God tells them, he says, be careful about your priorities, glorify my name. Thirdly, invest and work in the right things for the right reasons. Invest and work in the right things for the right reasons. Look what he says there in verses nine to 11. He says, you look for much, behold, it came to middle. And when you brought it home, it, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain. The new wine, the oil, and the, on the ground, what the ground brings forth. A man and beast and all the labors. Invest and work in the right things for the right reasons. God is trying to get their attention. In this, in this situation that we just read about in Haggai, God is trying to get their attention. They have a purpose, a plan to get the message of God out to the nations around them. And yet they were busy at home, busy themselves with their own little tasks. It's not just about his, his house. It's not just about his building. It's about his kingdom. It's about his kingdom that he wants to build and to use us to. No, he doesn't have to use us. He does not need you and me. He uses us so that we can be instruments of his to reach those around us so we, he can get glorified through us and what we're doing. If he wanted to, he could save the whole world with a snap of his fingers or just one word out of his mouth. He does not need you and I. But he chooses to use us so that we can praise him and glorify him and become involved in the work that he is about. 
The point is here. We need to focus on what's important. Focus on what's important. This life is short. Eternity is long. Focus on what's important. This life is short. 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. To us, that seems like a long time. I'm 52. My grandmother was twice my age when she died. 104. But in the scheme of things, looking at eternity, 100 years is nothing. For probably lucky. So what happens to the people? What do they do? Verse 12. We see that repentance, the people repented. They feared the Lord and sought restoration. It says, verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Number one. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of the Haggai the prophet as the Lord of their God sent them. And the people feared the Lord. The people feared the Lord. They understood that they had been playing a game. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people of God with the Lord's message. And God says, I am with you, declares the Lord. I'm with you. See what's happening here. The people recognize that they've been playing game. They've been playing religion. They've been playing at faith. They've forgotten the the priority first of what was really important. So they repented. They obeyed. They turned their hearts again to obey the word of the Lord. They began building the temple once again to reestablish worship in the land and across all the nations that were in that land there in the promised land of Israel. It says, and then they feared the Lord. It says, the people feared the Lord. They understood how awesome and mighty this God is. And God said, they said, God, don't, he says, don't fear. I am with you. I am As with the message of Zechariah, it required repentance from their apathy. It required them turning and seeking God once again. This book of Haggai is a story of God's people. And in many ways, it's the same story that we see of God's people throughout all of Scripture. God has designed the world to work in a specific way. And when the people of God disobey Him by sinning, humanity is not able to flourish as God intended. This lack of human flourishing can be made right if the people repent and obey. It's not difficult. It's not difficult at all. It's a matter of us reprioritizing our lives, submitting ourselves, repenting, turning to God again. It's much the same message as what we had in Zechariah. Draw near to God, and I will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and I will draw near but now the focus is on setting up the nation around us to receive the worship of God. Have your hands and close your eyes just for a minute. As Karis comes up and prepares to give us one final song this morning. Where are you in 
where do you stand today in this kingdom? Where's your heart today? Are you working at the wrong things? Are you so busy working and trying to build your pound of wall houses? As God calls them, that you've forgotten to build the kingdom? Are we so busy trying to live life that we've forgotten? That we've forgotten to experience the life that God really wants for us? I'll take a couple moments this morning and just pray and ask God to set your hearts right, to set our hearts right, to get us centered on what's truly important for Him. And then we'll stand and we'll sing in a couple minutes. Take a couple moments now, just you and God in that chair. And reprioritize your life. as we come before you this morning we know and acknowledge that you are a great and gracious God full of mercy full of grace abounding in love and abounding in forgiveness for your people this morning Father God I ask you to forgive me for those things in my life that I've sought just to do to please myself to find comfort in my own my own ways and have forgotten to be at the task that you called us to do. Forgive me, Lord, for being selfish. Let me reprioritize my life right now to put your kingdom first, to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. Did you tell us in Matthew? I pray, Lord God, that today, that all across this room and online as people are watching, Lord God, that you would move in our hearts to help us to center our hearts and our minds on you, to reprioritize ourselves on doing that which is truly within has eternal consequences. That all these temporal things in this world that we get so distracted with, understand that they have no long term effect help us Lord God to honor you and to love you this morning with all that we do and say in Jesus name I pray Amen let's stand right now we're going to sing one final song this morning as Karis leads us in Waymaker or as we sing together let Jesus become your Waymaker to show you the way and the path